0: Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table. And they are forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. It is Wednesday, just after 4 o'clock. Cavs, it was a travel day for them. They'll get back on the practice floor tomorrow. It's Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. Cavs facing a 2-0 series deficit against the feisty Boston Celtics. Uh, Joe, leaving game two, what was the vibe around the team, buddy? You know, <laughs> I, I
1: think that's hard to say. I I, uh, I mean, it's a I, – I don't mean to suggest that, like, the players are at, at each other's throats or anything like that when I use this word, but I want to say that the locker room is, like, fragmented. Okay. Um, it's very quiet um, for the most part. People are keeping to themselves, and then you have kind of like that that back row. There's like a, a row along the wall there at TD Garden, and you've got like Jetty and Clarkson and Nance and Hood, and uh, and then like the guys who don't play. Like they're all they're all sort of in a row there, um, and then you know you've got Kevin off. It, tucked in a corner and, and George Hills in the other corner. And there's just, there's not a whole lot to do or say. Um, it's very quiet. I don't get the sense, uh, and and this is a good thing for the Cavs. I I don't, I don't get the sense that they feel like this is over or, um, or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I think they're going to show up. On Saturday, and and try to begin the work of making this a series, and and I I I judge that mostly off of like what I've seen and heard from LeBron. Um, You know, I just I I don't think he's ready to to cash in yet. So, um, so so I think that's the case. But it's you know, I mean, Boston's taking it to him twice, pretty handily. I mean, they're not even close at at guard. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, when you start getting into 50, 50 balls and, uh, you know, toughness and composure and all the things that the Cavs used to do to
0: the Celtics, they are now, uh, the roles have been reversed. We have a lot of questions and we'll get into the questions, but, but I'm curious from you. Um, you know, you do the matchup columns heading into every single series, and you were bouncing a few of the matchups off of me and kind of yeah. picking my brain on that. And you were discussing that with the players and the coaches and things like that through two games of this particular series. What has surprised you the most?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, th- th- <laughs> th- but Thanks for this question. Um, Because for me, I go back to the conference finals last year and I just remember how encouraged the Boston people were about Jalen Brown. And I think, I remember talking to you about this, just kind of saying that I didn't see it. I I, I didn't understand the backflips over Jalen Brown getting seven or eight minutes uh, in those in that series, and and he is he is dominating this series right now. Um, he has destroyed Corver and Jr. Um, and so that is the first thing that totally just jumps off the page to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing. LeBron, LeBron has, uh, 13 turnovers in these two yeah. games. And I don't, I don't feel like he's being careless. I think that these, these turnovers are by and large a product of just incredible discipline on defense. Um, and just time and again, uh, it, it, it's, it's a case where the Celtics are just in places that the Raptors weren't like, mm-hmm. I, I, I've seen multiple passes that LeBron's thrown that have been picked off that he threw in the last series, and they were, they were there, and, and now they're not. So um, it just incredible attention to, def- to detail defensively, and Jalen
0: Brown uh, proving to just be a, a dynamic player uh, in the series. I think you make a good point about Boston compared to Toronto. I think we're learning more and more, and we have the benefit of hindsight now and it's only two games, and things can change quickly in a seven-game series. We understand that. We've seen that in the past. But, but I think the thing that we've learned here is that what the Cavs did um, against Toronto in the Eastern Conference semifinals, Joe, I think that had a lot more to do with the opponent than it did with, okay, the Cavs have found themselves now, or the Cavs are peaking at the right time. I think we've seen enough to know there are certain teams and certain styles that bother the Cavs, and Toronto, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, they didn't play that style. They weren't tough. They weren't physical. They weren't mentally tough. They didn't get up in the Cavs. Uh, They did in game three, but by that time it was way too late. Uh, They weren't smart on defense. They weren't disciplined on defense. I don't know that they were very well coached in that particular series. Um, This is kind of a blueprint of the Indiana Pacers, but the team that is executing this blueprint now against the Cavs is more talented. They're better overall. They're better coached. And they don't seem to make the mistakes late in games when it's tight, the way that the Indiana Pacers did. I thought Indiana gave away games to the Cavs in that first round series. Um, and Boston had a chance to give away the game last night. It looked like it was starting to slip away. They went through, like, two minutes in the fourth quarter where they had some baffling offensive possessions. They had some weird turnovers, um, and the Cavs got it to six. Um, In those moments, Toronto probably crumbles. Indiana maybe does as well, and Boston responded like champions where the Cavs wilted instead. I thought that was really, really weird.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, uh,
1: I, one of the things that I've been, and this goes right into what you're saying, one of the things I've thought now through two games is that maybe Toronto should have fired Dwayne. <laughs> um, yeah. Just because the, the Raptors just, they just didn't, they just didn't do what, what you have to do to beat the Cavs. Right. And, it's a, and as, as you're kind of making the point, like, it's there. Like, it's, it's, it's there to, to do it. But I just – I also um, – like, in, in game one, they got blown out. yeah, And, um, you know, they, they got burned on matchups, and LeBron was horrible. So you're not going to win that one. Mm-hmm. And then in game two, um, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know that you can survive that kind of performance from JR, and you certainly can't survive – that kind of performance from both guards. Mm. Um, and so I, it's like, you know, we all are doing backflips over the scheme, but the the Cavs are just losing individual matchups that, that, that certainly coming in, I wasn't ready to, to give away um, in the Celtics favor. Um, I mean, George Hill has been dominated in this mm-hmm. series. Just it's not close. And uh, and and he was really good against the Raptors. Um, as we've already said, they they've got no answer for um, for Jalen Brown right now. And then um, Al Horford, who was struggling last night, had a great fourth quarter and and turned in a nice performance. Um, so he got around uh, the Tristan switch there. Although, you know, I still think that worked and I think the Cavs for the most part need to stay with it as far as Horford's concerned. Um, but it's not going to matter unless they can get this Jalen Brown thing going. So I guess my point is, um, I'm just, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to give away this series yet. Right. Um, I think the Celtics have been great. Uh, in some areas also, but as you mentioned, it's not like they're shooting the lights out necessarily. Um, So I guess that's cause for concern, but um, I don't know that they can shoot the lights out either. So um, it's not over yet. Uh, they've They've got to find a way to win a couple of these matchups though.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing that the Cavs have going for themselves, Joe, and you obviously don't want to bank on this, but it's the truth. The Celtics have been a completely different team on the road than they are at home in the postseason. They've won one game away from TD Garden so far in the postseason. And the splits of Terry Rozier in particular, home versus road, are significant. So this young team, and the Celtics are a young group, they're relying on a lot of young guys. They have to prove that they can go on the road in a hostile environment, in a pressure situation, and play the way that they do at home, um, at least in these next two games. But the other side of that is, technically, Boston doesn't have to win on the road. Like If they just take care of business at home the entire series, then they win the series. But you've written about this in the past, LeBron's propensity for going somewhere on the road and getting at least one of the games. If there's something that the Cavs can hang on to going into game three, that maybe can give them some life, some momentum, some confidence. Boston hasn't been the same team away from the garden so far in the postseason.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's it exactly. Um, And, and they need, you know, Boston would do well to get one of these games here Um, just because of what you said, like LeBron is not going to miss every time uh, Mm. in, in your building so you've got to try to get him one of these two i mean you've done well to this point but um if the cavs hold court and it's 2-2 then i you know i, I don't i mean you're back to saying i don't know you're back to saying i i don't know who i'm going with is in this series and lebron's the one with the experience and the the, the, the rings and and all that so mm-hmm. um but it does feel i mean there there's so much work to be done to get to that point um and the Cavs have so much to fix that it, do, it does, it's, well, that seems plausible that that yeah. could happen. Like I don't think anyone should assume that it will. Um, they've got to, the Cavs have to work to fix this.
0: What is the blueprint? What is the formula you think for the Cavs uh, winning game three and then evening up the series? Like what is it internally they have to focus on correcting first and foremost?
1: Well, I mean, I, I you know, you've talked a little bit about this. Um, I saw some numbers from ESPN also that, that discussed this, but and then the Cavs addressed it themselves, just like they they were really pretty poor defensively. Yeah. Um, and you know, you wrote about it, we've talked about it a number of times, that that the thing about playing the way they play in the regular season is you you build these lazy bad habits on defense that can show up at the worst time in the playoffs. Like, so, you know, the the Cavs haven't been as bad defensively really, I don't think as, as they, they were in the regular season, but they, the habits are, are, are coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what they have to do. Like, there were so many breakdowns and, and they've got to try to find a way to fix that and figure that out. Um, And then, you know, you've got to find seven guys that are are going to give you what you need. Um, You know, Jordan Clarkson was a DNP. Um, I mean, you know, Rodney Hood's been, Ty defended him, said he was good in game one. I, I disagree with that. <laughs> um, and and I'm with you. I don't know. I mean, so there's jet, jetties out there, but obviously they don't think he can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you got to look at him. I mean, you, you know, you, you got to take a look at that. Uh, Jeff Green's got to be better. He hasn't given him anything in this series. Right. And, um, you know, George Hill's been so bad that you just have to wonder – if he's hurt, because um, he's just
0: he just hasn't hasn't been competitive. I think it's interesting because um, you know we know that this this group around LeBron is going to deal with inconsistencies throughout. We've seen that um, for a number of months now. Um, so so if that's going to be the case, I think Ty should really examine. You know, in the Indiana series and the Toronto series, he determined it was best for him to go on the familiar, the guys that had been there before, the guys with the experience. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like his shift going into game three should be, you know, forget the talent. Rodney Hood might be more talented than some of these other guys, or Jordan Clarkson might be more talented than some of these other guys. And maybe this backfires. But but if they're not going to give you what, what you expected coming into this series, then just go with dudes who are going to play really, really hard and match the intensity and the effort of Boston. Because I think, to me, in the first two games between the two teams, the, the most significant difference beyond coaching, because I think Brad Stevens is the best coach in the NBA, has been just the attention to detail, the effort, the intensity – and the physicality play dudes who play hard and do the right things on like every single possession. And to me, I think Jetty should get a, should just get a shot here. And if it backfires, it backfires, but at least, you know, you don't have to worry about his energy level the way that you do with these other guys.
1: Yeah. Um, I I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of saying the same thing on that. Um, you. You know, <laughs> like playing Jetty isn't like finding Kyrie and dropping him out there. So right, <laughs> you have to temper your expectations yeah. uh, a little bit. But but yeah, I mean the 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 playoffs have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to be too big for Jordan and for Rodney. Mm-hmm. There's just there's been too many games now. The play has been too inconsistent. Um. They they reintroduced Larry Nance yesterday, and I I, I didn't think he played well. Right, um, I agree with that. So, you know, you've got Jetty. Um, he's shown you at times. I I know we've talked about this before. I think he scared the hell out of the Cavs with his two of eleven and right. off the turnovers that night against the the Sixers in a game they had to have. Um. And he really hasn't gotten to play since, except for the you know, the one game, game four against the Raptors. So um I think that has something to do with it. But yeah, I mean, he is gonna go out and just he's not going to be afraid of the moment. Um and he might compete, you know, he might he might guard um Jalen Brown. Like he, you know, he might give him, you know, he might try to get into him uh-huh. um in a way that, that hasn't happened. So you know, I mean, you, you can't play everybody. Um, and obviously if you're going to put Jetty out there and if, if God, I mean, you know, crazy talk, you're going to start him, then that means you're taking another shooter off the floor and you already did that once. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know how you do this, but um, you know, time made the determination to go. from Jordan. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if George Hill's going to be this way, I, I don't know like what what do you re-examine I mean just you've got LeBron and you've got Kevin um that's that's where you start and then yeah you got to find find yourself five other guys that'll give you what you need
0: yeah what did you make of uh the way that Tristan played and Kevin played in in the change that Ty decided to make putting Kevin back in his natural spot do you think they're going to stick with that moving forward yeah I think so I, I I was happy with it um I,
1: I was, I, I thought that was fine. And again, like I said, Horford, um, w- was having a tough night. I mean, he was, he was three of 10. Um, and then, you know, he, Jr. shoves him out of the air and, and, and Horford, you know, grabs a couple re- offensive rebounds and gets fouled another time. And, and, and all of a sudden he's had a nice night, but th- they were, they were good. I mean, you know, the Cavs were up 11. In the yeah. first half. I mean, so this wasn't game one. This wasn't the total disaster. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, I just, I mean, you've got to, now
0: you got to figure out your backcourt. I don't know. What would you do with the backcourt? Oh, man. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a solution for the backcourt. You know what I mean? Like, we, we keep talking about, like, what Ty should be doing different. And I guess, like, anytime you come up with this kind of conversation you have to have a solution right i i don't know that there is a solution um for moving george hill out of the starting lineup or limiting his minutes because the only other options are jordan clarkson Mm -hmm. which goes way too fast and he's way out of control and i don't know how they can rein him in and harness that and it was clear that they didn't like what they saw from him in game one against Boston and gave him the DNP that you were talking about. And Jose called around no chance, no chance. These, these Celtics are so fast, so athletic, mm-hmm. so quick. I just don't think he could keep up. He couldn't keep up in the series against the Indiana Pacers. I'm not sure how he'd keep up with this backcourt for the Celtics. So to me, that's a no, you just don't have an option there. And J.R. Smith, As bad as he was last night, what he did to Horford was inexcusable. I thought it was a dirty play, and um, it really cost the Cavs when they cut it to six at that point, or eight, I think it was. You know that there's a chance that he makes one three, and then here comes another, and here comes another, and here comes another, and then maybe the defense has to change its strategy because he's starting to knock down those outside shots. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's it's too risky to take him out of the equation knowing what he can be capable of.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think – I mean, it's um, – I mean, I think that's a great point. Like, for as bad as JR was, if he goes four of seven, it's a totally different game. Yep. Um, And if, you know, maybe in game three he doesn't look like a space cadet on defense, and then all of a sudden – um that that improves so yeah so so th- um so so there there's an answer or two on the periphery of this rotation maybe you try jetty um I, you know you try to I, I don't know if you reintroduce clarkson for someone else but i i don't know who i, I mean like but whatever it is it's that like that's not what's going to win you the series what's going yeah. to series is the other guys you've been counting on have to get back to playing well again.
0: Right, and I think the other thing in talking about that, I could envision a scenario, Joe, where the best five for the Cavs in this particular matchup is George Hill, Kyle Korver, LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. However, um, it doesn't seem like the Cavs are comfortable with Kyle Korver versus Jalen Brown. Like his big offensive outburst in the second quarter came when he was matched up against Marcus Smart. Part of the part of the reason, or a byproduct anyway, of moving Korver out of the starting lineup into the bench. He no longer had to be matched up against Jalen Brown. He got all of his points against Marcus Smart. Uh, the minute that Jalen Brown came into the game, Kyle Korver got one shot off or something like that. Marcus Smart, he can just, he can shoot over him even if Smart tries to fight through those screens. So it's hard, I think, for Corver to be the Corver that the Cavs need, especially if he's going to be matched up against a guy like Jalen Brown or even Jason Tate. Yeah. No, I think you I think you're right. So that's what they're up against here. Uh that's for this series anyway, as they shift into Game Three. Game three is Saturday. You uh posted something for Cleveland.com this afternoon about kind of the future of the Cavs, and it ties into what happened last night. NBA draft lottery. Um, the Cavs did not move up. Eighth overall pick for them. What does them staying at number eight mean in the big picture for this team when you talk about their off-season plans?
1: Well, I I mean, it's limiting. Um, It's it's certainly more limiting than what they had hoped. Um, The the higher you get in the draft, you know, the closer you get to the best guy. Mm -hmm. So the more attractive – you know those are things that everybody knows um but what is more important i think for them to realize which they do and i think for fans to begin to consider is that the pick is what it is and now they now at least they know what it is right now they know what their cupboard looks like as they approach this off season. and the point is that they have a chance like they have some flexibility um they have pieces and some of them you knew about and then some of them you didn't like this i mean the the fact that that perk um could be on the books next year for a 2.4 million dollar contract i mean that's a valuable trade piece because as you got you know as some of our listeners know you can group player contracts together to, to trade for, for something that you want. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a sizable piece as an expiring contract. Um, they have four trade exceptions, including one worth a nearly $6 million. I mean, that gets you a a vet, like a solid veteran role player, Mm -hmm. uh, that trade exception. Um, now you've got the eighth pick, like there's going to be a couple of really interesting players there. Um, you know, I think that we can all agree that Michael Porter will be in the bo- in the area of of eight, and Trey Young, who really was the most—I mean, you know—he led the country in scoring and assists, so you could probably call him the most dynamic player. Like he he's going to be in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin Sexton, another one. Like <laughs> I mean, like game-changing speed as a point guard, fearless. Um, in some ways reminds you of Rozier, which who wouldn't want it. So, so like you can get a guy that's going to make you better. Um, but, but you also like the pick is not without value. Um, like there are teams out there who have superstars, um, that aren't going to win and are burdened by cap problems. Um, and, and be interested in, in that pick and, uh, and, 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 and maybe willing to come off of one of their guys um that, that they're paying a bunch of money to the kind of guy that LeBron would like to play with. And so all that's in play. Um and just I mean it's been a it's been a hard year for Kobe Altman. It's been a hard year for the front office. Um most of the trades they've made have not worked the way they intended. However each deal was basically done under extreme duress. Um, and, and I mean, you know, you learn from, from things and, and they, they've had the time and, uh, the collection of assets to prepare, um, plans for, for the summer. And so the Cavs aren't in a terrible spot there.
0: Right. I I think that's a fair way to look at it. The only thing that I would say is, um, as much as the Cavs probably value the eighth pick and and I know this this draft is really really deep and the 8th pick this year would probably equate to a top 5 pick in most years because of what they could get at number 8 uh uh-huh. um I look at their roster and I don't know that they have the young piece to attach to the pick so like if the pick would have been a top 3 pick that of itself is enough to make a team say wow you are wowing us with this package because of that as the centerpiece You know what I mean? Like Minnesota couldn't turn down the Cavs in 2014 because they wanted Andrew Wiggins so bad. That was the guy that appealed to them. And if the Cavs don't win the lottery that year, they don't have Wiggins, who knows? Maybe they don't have Kevin Love. Um, For Indiana, like the piece that they wanted was clearly Victor Oladipo and they wanted two young controllable pieces for Paul George. And I looked at the Jimmy Butler trade between the Timberwolves and the Bulls. And it turned out that it was like two first round picks. And then, so I, I look at this and I say, it's the eighth overall pick. Like, I don't know that that pick on its own is enticing enough to force a team like San Antonio to say, okay, we're going to move Kawhi to you. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. just John Wall, just hypothetically, one of those guys. Like, I feel like those teams have to be wowed in order to move those star players. And I just don't think, the eighth overall pick has that wow factor attached to it. And they don't have the young up and coming piece to attach to that where the team's like, okay, we're getting a young piece and that, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like in some ways it would have to be, you'd have to find the right trade partner, like a partner who wants Kevin. Right. Right. That's fair. Like that's a thing. Or, you know, uh, trying to think of the scenario where this would be um, like a, a team that would want the pick and, and a veteran shooter like a Kyle Korver that that's hard to figure out who that right. is. Um, but, but Corver's a piece. I mean, he's obviously can still play like there's something he can still do and his contract is favorable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. It's not perfect. Um, n- nothing that they've done. I mean, you know, no situation the Cavs have been in is, um, but but we'll just see. Like, so you, so I think you're, I think you're pretty well on the money there about, um, you know, Kawhi and John Wall, those guys. But what about Kemba? Right. right, right. What about what's going on up in Portland? Like, you know, there are other stars. Like, I mean, you know, Kawhi Leonard, when healthy, is good enough to guard LeBron. I mean, that's. Sure. Like that's nuts. So all right. So you're not going to get him for the eighth pick, and John Wall has been an all star. I don't know how many times. Um, so all right, fine. But but the next guy, maybe you know. I mean, I mean the Hornets. The Hornets need to start over, and they have a guy um, who you know in in Kemba Walker that, jeez, you know. I mean, he, he would be great on, on a team. So. Um, So it's just, it's not, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility.
0: But do you think that's kind of the position that the Cavs are in right now, Joe, where they, no matter the outcome here, when it comes to this matchup against Boston, like they need to show LeBron that kind of plan to get that kind of sidekick um, in order to try and entice him and convince him that Cleveland's the best spot.
1: Well, you know, Chris, I, I stayed away from that, component of this um in in the story like the yeah. whole idea of okay so the calves have all these tools um that's the that's what the story is about yep what it doesn't say is how it, it is um how you approach or present these tools to lebron because right. i don't think that's clear on any side like i i don't know that the Cavs have a plan that they are going to walk up to LeBron and say, "Okay, here is what we intend to do. What say you?" And I certainly know that LeBron will not go to them and say, "This is what I want you to do." Mm-hmm. That's not how he. Op- that's not how he operates. What What he will want is um, to to see that they are making wise moves. They've had a year to do that, and it's it's it hasn't worked out. Right. Um, so that's a bet. That's bad. But they, they could begin this process, um, you know, before he even hits free agency, they can make a trade for out of that draft pick that that could really help or they can make the right pick. I mean, LeBron loves Trey young. I don't know. Um, they could, they could move Kevin, like they could start it. Um, and, and he would, and, and he would really like that. I think, you know, I think just with the Cavs, And talking to them a little bit about this, that for them, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, if LeBron stays, awesome. But, you know, we feel like we've got ways to get better. And that's kind of what they want to do. Um, So, you know, I I mean, I'm also like, I am just not sold that this is a basketball decision. Right. Um, You know, because we've talked on here before that the Sixers now look really appealing from a basketball perspective. Um, and then, you know, that scenario where like he ends up in LA with another all-star to like, that'd be great or whatever. But I think this one has more to do with family and like future life goals and legacy goals and mm-hmm. how you want to finish up and what you want people to think of you. Like I think that, I think that has a lot to do with it. So, you know, unless Kobe Alvin goes Ted Stepien, which that's not going to happen, like, you know, I think the moves are going to be what they are, and LeBron is just going to figure out how he wants to finish his career, and then they'll get together, or they or they won't. Like, I, I don't think this is as much
0: about, that. this one is not as much about basketball as the others were. Legacy is something that's really, really interesting, and it's something that LeBron has talked about a number of times and he's well aware of. And I think, legacy, um, I think Legacy fueled him going to Miami, and I think Legacy had a huge role in him coming back to Cleveland, knowing that this was the only place that he could undo the decision, where he could make good on the promise, where he could end a championship drought. Uh, not all rings are created equal. Mm-hmm. and i think he understood that in coming back to cleveland and getting that ring i think he understands what that ring means compared to the two that he got in miami i keep going back and forth on this show but but i can't find a negative like something that would hurt his legacy in terms of him leaving cleveland another time what am i missing there is there anything that would harm his legacy by leaving cleveland
1: um well i think it, i think it depends on on Uh, what you mean by legacy and then also like the degree of impact that we're talking about. Okay. Um, Because I think that, that he has actually cemented his legacy now. Um, I, he, I think he would have taken a small hit had he allowed this team to lose in the first round. Uh, You could have questioned his effort and all that, but, but, but as we now know, he stood up and, and, and carried this team and, got past that and they're back in the conference finals. And so I feel like, um, you know, when you use legacy in the way that we most often use it, that he's pretty well set. I agree. Um, I, I, I also believe that leaving a city again, mm. um, it is going to cause some measure of a PR issue. Okay. Like, You know, I'm going to go out there and say at some point that LeBron has basically has earned your well wishes and your um, appreciation for what he has done in these four years. I don't know that everyone is going to listen to me. And I think fewer people, (laughs) I think fewer people will agree with that than LeBron has calculated. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I still think there would be some blowback for leaving this place again, especially when he said he did not intend to. Right. Right. Um. So that I think that's where it is. Like, do you want to even it's whatever that is? It won't. It won't be like the decision in 2010. Things have changed. He's made amends there. Yep. It won't be like that. But as you go down the back nine here, um do you, do you want that again? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be the villain again? Um, Do you want that for your family? Do you want, do you want there to be any kind of, you know, smudge on your record? When, when the one that you had, you expunged it, like you did. So does he want another one? Mm -hmm. And, and that is where I think at, at
0: some level he would, he would run into a little bit of trouble. So I think this is a fascinating conversation with so many different layers to it. And I think so many people want it to be a simple decision when it's really complex. And I think you outlined it really, really well. Um, The only other thing that I would add to it is this to me would feel different. And I think more people would be like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I know exactly why you left the Cavs. You no longer have Kyrie Irving. That's what you signed up for. You signed up for a big three with Kyrie and you felt like there were the pieces to bring in Kevin Love as well. Um, That's no longer the case from a basketball standpoint. Uh, You have a general manager in Kobe Altman who is inexperienced. For you to put your trust in him is pretty risky for your career based on the moves that he made and how those blew up in the face. You have an owner there that you don't trust. And you have no reason to trust. Um, And like all these different things that have happened throughout the course of the year, Joe, where I feel like most people will look at the situation and say, I get it. I understand exactly why you're leaving. Mm -hmm. And that would make it easier. That paves the way for him to go. And the other thing is, you mentioned the legacy. I think it is solidified. I think at this point, Joe, the only thing that LeBron can do is somehow add to his legacy. And I still think that can be done. I just don't know how he adds to his legacy by staying here in Cleveland. To me, adding to his legacy would mean going to another franchise, let's just say hypothetically, the Los Angeles Lakers. They've been in the doldrums for years, and him taking that group and taking that franchise to championship level And that's three franchises that he would be single-handedly responsible for elevating to those kinds of heights. Like to me, that's how you add to a legacy.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that would be right. I, yeah. I mean, I think so for sure. Um, that, that, that would be one way to do it. I I think, I, I, I guess I would disagree if, if he ever won another one here, uh, I don't. I mean, I think that would certainly be a, a legacy builder. I mean, hmm. um, well, certainly. I mean, and any time that he is going to lead, like, because we we've talked, you know, in different contexts, like the Warriors are. I, I don't. I mean, like, say what you will about them. Like, they they are the the twenty seven Yankees. They are <laughs> they are they are the the ultimate of. Yep. Of this sport, and and in this modern era, we haven't seen anything like them. Mm. Uh, and so, if you topple them coming out of the East with the Cavs um, in any way, shape, or form, I, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Like, can you imagine if they did that this year? Oh, sure. If they did it this year yeah. with that supporting cast, absolutely. Like, I, I don't think any time like if if LeBron goes to LA. And he takes Paul George with him, and they get a third guy somehow. Mm-hmm. So he formed another super team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it doesn't that doesn't hurt that doesn't hurt his legacy. Like you know, you know, it's not a damaging thing by any stretch. Um, and if he wins, then you know he's got another championship and, and all that. But I think, um, I I th- I think that. You know, in in sort of the way that whatever Kevin Durant does with the Warriors, like it's I don't think it's going to really change um, Durant's personal legacy, like the way people look at LeBron or the way they look at Michael, um, because like Kevin came to this team and, uh, you know, joined. I mean, he joined up with an MVP and yeah. So I just don't think like so I think LeBron is cognizant of that. Now LeBron going to LA wouldn't be the same um necessarily as that, but it's close. It's it's like LeBron knows that and he knows um that he knows how he has kind of etched his own uh spot on Mount Rushmore. Um you know, it goes back to me to what he meant when he said to me last May that he has nothing left to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? Does that, does that mean that he, um, he can, he can leave Cleveland because he's done what he said he wanted to do here. Yeah. Um, if so, then he's probably out. Um, does it mean that he has, that, that? does it mean that he has, um, achieved everything he wanted to in his career and that it, you know, winning isn't the only thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And that there are now family considerations and comfort considerations and autonomy within the the organization, things like that. Um, If that's what he meant, you know, then maybe the Cavs are back in there. I, I, I generally agree with, with what you are saying. And I think, um, especially even the way LeBron carried himself this year, um, and, and gave his all this year, like, yep. he's, I mean, he's done what he said he would do, like short of retiring here, which is also what he said he would do. Uh, otherwise he's done, he's given the, the city and the organization, everything that he's had. So it's that, I mean he he's, he's earned, he's earned the right to do whatever, whatever it is that he wants to to do next. Um, but I think, I mean, there, there, there are re you could, you can make, Hmm. I was going to say that you can make a case for him to stay. I don't know. I don't know if you can make it, if you're the Cavs, I think you can make it, make a case for him remaining in Cleveland. Um, for for things other than basketball.
0: Yeah. I think right now, Joe, uh, just being honest, I think the Cavs have to hope that this is not a basketball decision. Yeah. Because I don't know that they stack up from a basketball standpoint because, like, even if they beat the Celtics and they get to the NBA Finals, it doesn't change that there are some serious salary cap things that they have to deal with in terms of improving the roster. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, the owner is the owner. It's Dan Gilbert. Um, and it doesn't change that David Griffin's no longer around to kind of pull those rabbits out of a hat where you don't think those moves can actually come from. And it doesn't change the fact that as of right now, his second best player is Kevin Love. That's not ideal. Uh, Kevin's probably a great number three, and that's probably how a lot of teams around the NBA and maybe even LeBron envision him. But as a second fiddle, as a sidekick, I don't know that that's good enough if yeah. you're presenting a basketball argument.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to, that, that's the reality, Chris. That's, yep. that, that, that's it. Um, And I think it's been kind of laid bare here in the, in the playoffs. Um, yeah. You just kind of, you just kind of wondered if it was more culture and more just having gone through this too many times as far as what we saw in the regular season. But you know, now
0: it doesn't. That doesn't appear to be the case. All right, let's get into the questions here. First one. This is the biggest question of the day: Yanni or Laurel? Right. So I'm. I'm way Laurel. Thank you very much. I don't know how anybody hears Yanni, but well, my wife hears Yanni. No, she does
1: not. Sure. Sam. Uh, Sam and I are both uh, in camp Laurel. And uh, oh my gosh, I don't know what to tell her.
0: I have listened to it. At least 50 times, I've not once heard anything other than Laurel. Right. Like, it's not close. So. No, no, not at all. So how are people hearing Yanni? How is your wife explaining that she heard Yanni?
1: I think for just the same way that we're saying Laurel. Like, <laughs> what do you mean you're hearing uh, Laurel? Of
0: course That's it's awesome. Yanni. That's awesome. All right. We're on the same page there. I love it. Uh, next question you see the Cavs starting Kyle Korver in game three again? No. No. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, Jordan is curious. Is Tyloo's health issues having a bigger impact on him than many would want to admit, including him?
1: No, I don't think so. I, I, okay. I, I, I don't think that uh, his health issues are impacting him in, in the playoffs. Um, I think he has admitted the impact that they had on him during the regular season, and um, I think it remains to be seen what Ty has gone through this year and the last couple of years. What, how that affects his future here, um, but but no, it, I don't
0: believe that his health is impacting how he's coaching in the playoffs at all. Uh, Joe Joe Cavs he wants to know. With the pick landing at number eight, do you believe the Cavs will trade it or keep it? What's most likely there, and do you think LeBron leaves if they lose this series against Boston? I don't think
1: that um, I, I don't I don't think that LeBron's decision is is necessarily tied to the outcome of the series. Um, I think we've gone into pretty pretty right. good detail on that as to what's really going on there. Um. And then I, I think if I had to guess, I, I I think they want to make the pick. I mean Yeah, it seems that way. I I do not agree with some of the characterizations that they absolutely will not trade it. Um, right. I don't think that's right. Um I think and I bet they get an offer or two that are interesting. Um but like, you know, I, I mean I have to admit, I am interested in Tra- in Trey Young. Colin um, mm-hmm. Sexton. I mean that they're younger, they're young and they're unproven, but like they absolutely like address a need. Um, you know, I don't like Michael. I, I am nervous about Michael Porter's back. Right. But if he's okay, um, that's, that's interesting too. So no, nah, I, I I think, uh, I,
0: I, I think that they, I think that it's probably more likely than that, that they make the pick than they don't. The other thing that I heard, I was, um, watching the draft lottery last night and Cassidy Hubbard was um, interviewing Jerry West. And obviously he's been around for a long, long time. And he said something that was really interesting to me. He said the goal of, of taking somebody in round one is that you have control of that guy for seven to nine years. And I think for the Calves in the situation that they are with their cap and the high-priced guys of Kevin Love, George Hill, Jr. Smith, Tristan Thompson, having that young, controllable piece on a more team-friendly deal is something that would be very appealing to a general manager that's thinking about team building. Yeah, absolutely,
1: and I and I and I don't know. I mean, because you made out a pretty convincing case as to how why. They couldn't get, um, you know, like maybe the top two stars available via Trey. So if if that's the case and you're trying to make a run at LeBron, um, I I think what you would do is I think you would make this pick, you know, and I think you would take like a Trey Young, Mm. then show show LeBron that you've traded Kevin, like Mm. for something big. You Mm. know what I mean? Like really change the team, like. And I, and I think the Cavs would be open to do that, doing that anyway, regardless of if LeBron's coming, or LeBron's coming back or not. So yeah, So yeah. I mean, it, I think it's pretty easy for
0: all of us to talk
1: ourselves into them making this pick one way or the other.
0: I also think Trey is kind of like the bridge, the gap between the two worlds. You know, so if LeBron decides that Cleveland is the best place for him and it's the right for his career and his family, then you have another playmaking guard that can create for himself and create for teammates, and he's a great outside shooter, so you have that as well. Now, defense is a huge question with him, but, hey, this organization doesn't care about defense, apparently. It's only about offense. So you have that guy as a potential running mate with LeBron. Um, If LeBron goes, he's the exciting Kyrie version offensive dynamo type guy that maybe you can uh, market shoe deals young kids want to be like him and have his outside shooting range. And there's a little bit of excitement and buzz around the team, even when they're losing, because he's such an exciting player and he moves the needle the way that he does.
1: No doubt. And then, and then something else to consider, uh, in addition to that, what if they can't trade Kevin? What if LeBron comes back and they can't trade him? Um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to pair Kevin with the kind of dynamic guard that you just discussed? Mm-hmm. So, I think so. Yeah. So that's – I don't know. So Yeah, I mean, I just <laughs> – I don't necessarily get the feeling that the Cavs want Trey. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we right.
0: do. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Alex says, does LeBron pull the anti-Durant and go to Toronto? <laughs> Wow, uh, I mean, uh, he's like this is my city. This is my building. Anyway, might as well. Yeah, um,
1: you know what? I I, <laughs> I I I don't think that. I mean, I, that probably won't happen. Uh, but I I I don't think that that was like as outrageous as you would as it sounds now. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that there there could be some compelling arguments for for Toronto, but uh,
0: <laughs> m- probably not. Probably. John wants to know uh and Ty was asked this question in the post game. Why does he keep playing Hood?
1: Yeah, I mean, Jason uh kind of laid it out there uh last night. I mean, I guess the point is and and I think you I mean, we talked about this earlier in the podcast like okay, you you don't want him to play player X. Well, who are you going to play instead? Right. Yeah. Yep. Um we think it should be Jetty. Yep. Uh, we think Jetty deserves a chance. Um, Rodney is just – he hasn't done it. The the thing is, like, there is a real – there is a sound basketball reason for this. Um, To beat the Celtics, you really could use some um, playmaking, versatile wings who can shoot and drive. And when Rodney's playing in the middle of February, um, he does those things. So – you know, if if he could somehow find it in this series, that's what they need. So,
0: so I get it. I understand why he's playing. Last question. Then we'll go. Assume LeBron stays. Is there a coach that can write this ship better than Ty? See, that's the other thing. We get into this all the time. Fans get so frustrated with Ty, and I think it goes back to: Do you have a solution that's better? And and I don't know how many guys would give like how many coaches would give the Cavs a better chance against Brad Stevens? Yeah, I don't. I mean. I don't think there's anybody out there that can outcoach Brad Stevens at this point. So I don't know. That's, that's the hard thing. And, and I think Ty has made mistakes. There's no doubt about it. I think his lineup at the start of the fourth quarter was indefensible. Um, not having Kevin and LeBron on the court at all times, one of the two indefensible, but again, like who out there could they get that would be better than Ty in this kind of environment?
1: well sure exactly i mean you know brad stevens was the better coach um last season and ty's team took him in five games um would have had him in four if lebron didn't play one of the worst games of his career so you know the Cavs don't have the same talent that they had last year um and i don't know what coach could come in here and fix that um so you know we, I think you and I are the same with this as well it Ties not without his faults he's made mistakes this year he didn't have a good year this year um but he also knows how to I think manage LeBron at, at this stage of LeBron's career and coach a veteran team um and has a ton of success in the playoffs so Find me somebody who has all that, and uh, I'll give you—you know—I'll give you a chance. But I don't think those guys are out there.